When the pandemic hit last year, healthcare visits went virtual. It took an international health crisis to cause a widespread adoption of telemedicine. But is it here to stay? This spring, the nonprofit research group RAND Corporation investigated the benefits and impacts of telemedicine beyond COVID-19. They found it meant less time traveling to appointments, increased productivity and flexibility, and decreased emergency room visits. And remote patients could potentially access the same caliber and variety of healthcare professionals as urban patients do. That's huge. But they also found some barriers to making telemedicine work in Canada. Things like jurisdictions and billing, privacy and security, and digital access. The evidence suggests that patients who stand to benefit most from telemedicine are least able to access it. And so far, Canada has adopted it at a lower rate than other OECD countries. Virtual clinical care is a promising proposition, but how can we help all patients in Canada make the most of it and make endless waiting room visits a thing of the past? I'm Kira Johnston, and this is the third episode of Leveling Up, a mini-series from the Conference Board of Canada and TELUS. Over the course of this five-part series, we'll explore what it'll take to bridge our digital divides and connect all Canadians. Our guest today is Marco Hafner, a senior economist and research leader at RAND Corporation. And we're going to talk about taking up telemedicine. Hi, Marco. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Perspectives and welcome to Leveling Up. Hi, Kira. Thanks for having me. Marco, before the pandemic, Canada was behind other OECD countries in their uptake of telemedicine and digital health services. What was preventing Canada from adopting telemedicine on a massive scale? So there are obviously different barriers that tend to hold back the use of telemedicine, and some of them are prevalent in other countries as well. Some of them are more specific to Canada. And one of these barriers concerns the licensure of doctors and other health practitioners in Canada, where the organization and regulation of health services by care providers and the supervision of the activities of health professionals mainly falls under the provincial jurisdiction. And as such, healthcare professionals may need to go through various regulatory authorities to understand applicable rules and obtain permits or authorization to practice in other provinces where they're not located. Thus, in most cases, a physician actually needs to be licensed in almost every province where they provide traditional medical care. And this makes it really hard for doctors to provide their services remotely to patients located in other provinces and therefore hinders the use of telemedicine across provinces more widely. Another obstacle to the use of telemedicine is the lack of clear reimbursement mechanisms for telemedicine procedures across the provinces. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, according to some provincial and territorial billing rules, the physician or doctor must either be personally carrying out the kind of medical procedure or have direct supervision over the procedure for it to be billable and receive compensations for it. For instance, some services that have been provided over telephone or virtually over video conferences in some jurisdictions were not being able to be compensated, which obviously is a disincentive for the physician to actually do this type of remote service. Provinces such as British Columbia, Alberta and Ontario, billing codes for telemedicine have already existed before the pandemic. And during the pandemic, other provinces have also introduced these billing code for remote consultations. But the question is whether they will be stay permanently or not once the COVID pandemic comes down a bit. And this regional heterogeneity in reimbursement mechanisms for remote consultations can create uncertainty for doctors and physicians, which aim to provide virtual care service across regions and hence may disencourage them to do so in the first place. 
But there are other barriers that are specific to Canada, and for instance, with regards to the interoperability of telemedicine systems. And one example here are electronic patient health records. So if telemedicine should work well, one would need some sort of seamless transfer of electronic health records between physicians. And at the moment, it seems there is a bit of a patchwork of different systems across different provinces, and they may not be as well interconnected as they could be to make this transfer of patient health records more efficient. There are a few barriers, of course. But on the other hand, what are some of the benefits? Let's talk about the biggest economic benefits to telemedicine uptake in Canada. As you say, there are potential different types of benefits that could occur to Canadian society more widely if there's an increased use of telemedicine. And one of them is kind of more on the economic side. And probably one of the most important domains where telemedicine could bring economic benefits to Canada is perhaps the time safe for patients for not having to travel to a doctor, wait there until they're seen, and then having to travel back again home or either go back to work. And we estimate in our research, for instance, that if 50% of primary care consultations, and that's roughly about the number of remote consultations that have been carried out at the height of the pandemic, would be held virtually remotely, Canadian patients would save 65 million hours every year to spend on other things, such as going to work or leisure activities. And even if only 10% of consultations would be held virtually, we estimate that we could still save about 13 million hours for Canadian patients every single year. Now, if some of these additional hours that could be saved are spent, for instance, on work activities, this could enhance productivity and lead to better economic output. And we estimate that a 50% use of remote consultation, similar to what we've seen during the pandemic, could lead to Canada's GDP to increase by about $3 billion every year. And that's roughly about the equivalent of the total annual household expenditure of about 33,000 Canadian households. An increase from currently about 4% to 10% of primary care consultations being held remotely or virtually would increase Canada's GDP still by about $1.3 billion every single year, which is roughly about the total household expenditure of about 14,000 households in Canada. As you mentioned, it's very time consuming, and I'm sure everyone's boss would prefer that they take their calls or appointments from home, of course. But on the other side, what are some of the biggest social benefits? Beyond the economic benefits, which obviously count, there are also kind of wider societal benefits for Canada and related to a reduced need to travel to a healthcare provider. And in light of the potential climate risks we face, this could also lead to less emissions associated with visiting doctors. So if some of these travels to a doctor have been done by car and they wouldn't have to be done, that would potentially lead to less emissions overall for Canada. And beyond this environmental benefits, some of the other benefits of telemedicine are associated with providing better access to care for many communities in Canada, for instance, those in very rural areas or those that may not have easy access to healthcare providers. So a lot of indigenous populations, which may have lacked access to healthcare providers, could be helped to the increased use of telemedicine and the adoption of it. And it's clearly convenient for patients as it allows them to access care or healthcare directly from their home without need to travel. So overall, the patient satisfaction with telemedicine tends to be relatively high and improves their quality of life. And it may also allow people to live in areas where the coverage of primary care facilities is less dense overall in rural areas compared to more urban areas. And there's also evidence suggesting because of the convenience factor that offering remote consultations to patients could lead to fewer missed appointments, but also potentially to fewer unnecessary emergency care visits. For instance, every year, about 20% of Canadian patients report to have used emergency care for reasons that may not be an actual medical emergency. 
but because they either didn't have uh, access to a primary care provider or it wasn't available at the time they needed it or they just wanted to see a doctor earlier than they could have done by just going to kind of a primary care provider. But the problem is that emergency care visits tend to be more expensive than consultations in primary care settings. So by reducing emergency care visits by potentially offering teleconsultations to patients, one could theoretically make emergency care rooms less crowded and at the same time also make direct savings to the healthcare costs for the Canadian healthcare system. We've addressed the barriers, we've addressed the benefits, but an issue as telemedicine does become more popular and someone might not have that digital access, our health inequalities could widen. What can we do to ensure that Canadians who have the most to gain from digital services can access them in the first place? That's true. I mean, it's absolutely correct. So we have seen during the pandemic that the use of telemedicine has skyrocketed over the last couple of months. But there's some evidence suggesting that some population groups like the elderly, indigenous populations or households from lower incomes may have less make use of the possibilities of teleconsultations to see a doctor remotely. But often these are the population groups that potentially profit most from seeing a doctor remotely just because they usually don't have access to it. That's as easy as, as other population groups. And clearly the digital divide that existed already before the pandemic may have exacerbated the inequalities that have existed before during the pandemic over the last month. So while telemedicine has a lot of advantages in providing access to care or in the case of COVID to reduce potentially the risk of spreading the infections, we need to make sure that all population groups profit from its potential benefits. An existing OECD service to examine digital skills across different populations clearly show a rural-urban divide in the ability of pupils and young adults and, and other population groups dealing with certain technologies and further investments in digital skills and, and access to the right technologies for all communities is hence a really crucial success factor for any telemedicine strategy, independent whether it's in Canada or in other countries as well. Reducing the digital skill gap is really important to reduce the risk that increasing the use of telemedicine is not widening already existing health inequalities. If we're looking to make a telemedicine system that works across Canada, Marco, what are some of the technological challenges that we need to be prepared for? There are a number of technical challenges by kind of implementing a telemedicine system more broadly. For instance, there are problems around interoperability of different systems that are currently in place across different provinces and regions. And if this interconnectivity is not guaranteed, the sharing and transmission of patient data across different healthcare providers would not be efficient and could make the uptake of telemedicine much more challenging. And related to patient data flows, obviously another really important challenge and topic is data security. So while patients tend to be very satisfied with the convenience that associated with the use of teleconsultations and telemedicine more widely, they tend to express quite a clear position and anxiety around the terms of data security and clearly want to have the right safeguarding mechanisms in place to ensure that the security of their personal data is ensured while having this system in place. Another technical factor that clearly challenges the uptake of telemedicine is its user-friendliness. In order for a technology to be adopted by patients and health practitioners alike, it really needs to be designed well, needs to be accessible for all population groups, including the elderly or people from different language communities. There also needs to be technical support for the technology by the technology provider. And if there are clear problems with the technology or if it fails or the usability is not guaranteed, it just would reduce the overall kind of ability to be taken up and adoption of it just because people will not use it if it's not user-friendly at all. 
It's not solely an issue related to telemedicine technology per se, but generally a challenge for every technology that emerges even outside of health. But the user friendliness is a really important factor to make telemedicine a potential success. So data security, user experience, tech support, all of these, I'm curious, which sector is the most qualified then to create that system? Public, private, both? I think it really needs kind of interplay between both sectors. I mean, we see a lot of technologies are created in public-private partnerships. There's definitely an onus on on both sectors, public and private, to make these technologies as user-friendly as possible and also create this environment where it can be taken up and building this ecosystem of different technologies, ensuring the interoperability of different systems and technologies that are coming on the market already there. That's really important that we have the interplay of both sectors, public and private. Now, we touched on this at the beginning of our conversation, but it looks like your research suggests that we need a national telemedicine strategy. But we all know that jurisdictions are a barrier in Canada. Why do you think that we need a national strategy for this as opposed to each province going at it alone? It's important to make clear point in terms of national versus regional. I mean, we're not really saying that you should nationalize and take away all the kind of responsibilities from a regional level. Not at all. It's not about taking away those responsibilities. It's it's true that regional jurisdictions obviously in Canada have a lot of power for decision making in many aspects of society, including health. And that wouldn't change as it has clear advantages in many aspects of society as many decision-making processes actually work very often more efficiently at the region level where decisions can be made tailored to the need of a local population. However, too much local decision-making can sometimes lead to less efficient systems and that's potentially the case with telemedicine. For instance, we spoke about the issue with different licensure rules of doctors and other health professionals and different reimbursement or mechanisms or electronic patient record systems across the different provinces, which act as a barrier for the use of telemedicine. And these issues are associated with a lower use of telemedicine in Canada. In order to overtake these barriers, conversations at the national level across the different stakeholder groups related to potential harmonization of some of these approaches potentially help to overcome these existing barriers. We have seen similar approaches taken, for instance, in the European Union, where we have many different countries with many different cultures, with complete different health systems, across different areas of health system, taking a more harmonized approach. For instance, in the case of licensures of health practitioners, um, so for instance, if you get a license in one country, you're also allowed to practice medicine in another country without having to obtain a special license. And this is also applying to patient health records. So there are new regulations that coming out from the European Union decision-making process to make sure that health systems are harmonized across different countries. It's more about taking slightly more nationally-led conversation across different stakeholders where a more harmonized approach across the jurisdictions and regions could lead to a more efficient system and potentially benefits of telemedicine more widely and more efficiently. Not necessarily taking nationalizing the total strategy, but to take a slightly more harmonized approach where it could lead to benefits. Even with all of these new technologies and the benefits, the barriers, the fact remains that our physical bodies do not exist in the digital realm. There will always be a need and patient demand for in-person care. How do we go about balancing the in-person, the telemedical services, and how might they inform or benefit each other? It's certainly true at the moment. Time will tell and the future will show us what can be done, whether virtual reality and artificial intelligence might lead to the fact that we don't need 
personal interactions at all anymore. But I think at the moment, it's clear that telemedicine is not a silver bullet for all the challenges that health system faces. So while there's evidence that it can tackle some unmet healthcare demands and hence kind of help balance regional over-demand of health services across the provinces, it's also associated with good patient satisfaction, as we know, but there are clear limits for its applicability. Some health conditions will most likely always be have to be seen or examined face-to-face with a doctor or a health practitioner and needs to be assessed through and can't be assessed to remote consultations. We also have examples during this pandemic where health conditions such as ear infections in children have been examined through virtual consultations and may have led to an oversubscription of antibiotics just because doctor might want to be sure that he treats the child well. So he, he maybe subscribes antibiotics more likely than if he would have seen the child face to face. And this could obviously lead to other challenges that we face. So we know an oversubscription of antibiotics might lead to what we call antimicrobial resistance. So the issue that antibiotics may stop working if you oversubscribe them. And and that's also seen as a kind of more long-term health risk that societies face in the future. Telemedicine has many benefits, but we also have to be very realistic about its applicability and where it works and, and where not. As you say, some patients will potentially always prefer to see a doctor face-to-face rather than having a virtual consultation. The two go really hand-in-hand, telemedicine and more traditional setting where you see a doctor face-to-face. For the health system overall, given the potential benefits of telemedicine, one has to find this sweet spot of how much telemedicine provision is efficient and actually responds to the need and preferences of the population, and also looking how it could tackle all the current and future health service demand that emerge associated with an aging society and more chronic health conditions, which most likely will increase the demand of health services in the future. Definitely there's a symbiotic relationship between traditional medicine in the way we know it for many years and the more digital health service as we go forward. Marco, it's been a pleasure. It's an incredibly interesting topic that affects the lives of all Canadians. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you very much, Kira. You can find more about Marco's research as well as TELUS's plans to connect Canadian communities by following the links in the episode description. Leveling Up is brought to you by the Conference Board of Canada and TELUS. It's hosted by Kira Johnston and written by Sarah Mills. Parmis Azimi is our audio engineer and Andy Joy is our post-production editor. Our executive producer is Michael Bassett. Ideas were also contributed by Catherine Fournier and Rob Collins. The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of TELUS or the Conference Board of Canada. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. For more podcasts, research, and ideas on Canadian issues, visit conferenceboard.ca.